And on the Michael Medved Show, it is always an honor to welcome to the show Professor John Hugh. Uh, he is the Emanuel S. Heller Chair in uh, Law Holder, a distinguished professor of law at the University of California at Berkeley. He is also a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and a visiting fellow of the Hoover Institution. Uh, for the Hoover Institution at Stanford, he just did a, a very important piece, which is posted at our website at michaelmedved.com, The Laws of War and Their Application in Israel's Fight Against Hamas. Uh, thank you for uh, contributing this piece and for uh, doing the research and argument necessary behind it, Professor Yu. Well, thanks, and it's good to be with you again. It's a great uh, pleasure and honor, uh, though the circumstances, of course, are grim. This is a brutal, uh, horrible war. It began horribly with unspeakable massacres. But the one thing you make very clear at the beginning, you write, before turning to the legal and policy issues surrounding urban combat in Gaza, we should make clear that Israel has the right to use force. Uh, what does that mean and why is that important? I think people make a mistake between uh, whether you have a right to go to war and then how you fight that war. But that's a difference that the law and scholars and thinkers have drawn for over a thousand years. So there's a question. The first question is, are you allowed to use force? Are you allowed to go to war? That's different than how you choose to fight the war. And you could have an illegal war where people fight honorably. And you could also have a war that you're legal to you know, go to, but that you fight illegally. The two questions have always been separate. And so in this case, on the October 7th attacks, I think it's undeniable that Israel has the right to go to war. The most important, the primary, and maybe some people think the only reason you can go to war these days is self-defense. And what we saw on October 7th, as you said, Michael, was an aggressive attack by Hamas on Israel, a surprise attack conducted in a brutal, inhumane way. And Israel has the right to defend itself. Another thing about the right to defend yourself is that it's not just, oh, you have the right to repel the attack. You have the right to continue on into the enemy's territory to make sure that they no longer have the ability to hurt you. And so when you read about Israel carrying out the war in Gaza, carrying its operations, not just in the north of Gaza, but also now turning to the south of Gaza, they have that right to continue to pursue Hamas to the point where Hamas will no longer be in a position to harm Israel again. That's all within this right of self-defense. And uh, this, is a, this is a right that the United States has stood up for for many, many decades. Uh, we're doing it in Ukraine, for example. We did it in Vietnam, South Korea, South Korea World War II. This is, uh, th I think, I can't think that anyone could make a plausible claim that Israel doesn't have the right to use force to try to defend itself here. There's also the matter that... Uh... Would it be different if, uh, in the course of the war, if uh, not just uh, wanting a ceasefire, 
if Hamas said that uh, let us reach a uh, ceasefire uh, that we will observe and uh, will never again attack uh, for any reason our neighbor? If uh, that that kind of offer has not been made by anyone involved with Hamas, if that kind of offer were made, would it be a situation in terms of perpetuating the war? I don't think so. Uh, it's an important question, though. You know, so, so for one question, Michael, is that you can't, um, how would I put it, uh, you can't keep waging a war when it's no longer necessary. So part of the idea of self-defense is that you are going to war and it's necessary to stop further attacks on you, to stop further threats on your peace. And uh, so part of it has to do with whether it's believable. You know, some enemy can't just say, oh, we uh, want to negotiate a peace and you have to stop fighting, um, especially if you don't believe them. And this is a problem with Hamas, given the things it says, given the way it launched the October 7th attacks. How can we find any kind of permanent, not just a temporary ceasefire, but a permanent end to hostilities and a promise by Hamas that they won't ever attack Israel again. How can anyone find that believable? And so Israel has the right to reject such a claim uh, because it says we just don't we just don't believe you. Uh, look how look what you did. Look how you attacked us on October seventh. Isn't in fact Hamas is one of its founding principles is to end the state of Israel. So why would Israel believe that any kind of permanent peace were possible? Okay, and you you also go into in your uh, paper, which is must read for anybody who wants to be uh, properly schooled in the legal background of what we're talking about, about uh, terms like indiscriminate and disproportionate. In other words, the laws of war suggest that an indiscriminate and a disproportionate response uh, is not appropriate, is not lawful. Uh, why is this not a case of an indiscriminate and disproportionate response? Well, this now gets into the question of how you choose to fight the war. Even though you have the right to go to war, <clears throat> there are certain rules on how you conduct it. For example, the most important uh, principle of the, the laws of war that goes back thousands of years. In fact, you could say it might be one of Western civilization's uh, great achievements is to try to narrow uh, fighting to combatants, to try to avoid harming civilians as much as is practically possible. That the uh, main goal of all military operations is the military assets of the other side, not the civilian population. So when uh, <clears throat> armies like our army or the Israeli, you know, the self-defense forces, engage in operations, they do have this limit on how they use force to make sure that they, the adjectives you use, they're not killing civilians indiscriminately, they're not using force out of proportion to the military goal, that their real target is military, not civilian. <clears throat> now, I might add, obviously, Hamas does not obey these rules. On October 7th, they attacked multiple purely civilian targets. Uh, for example, the music festival, uh, civilian homes that had no military value, had no military units nearby. And this is characteristic, I think, of Hamas and other terrorist groups like it. 
that they actually succeed by trying to violate the very core uh, principles that we use. They succeed in what with the principles that we use? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That the, these terrorist groups, they try to succeed. They gain an advantage by their willingness to violate the principles that we Western militaries use. So they target civilians deliberately. They are the ones who indiscriminately kill. They're the ones who act out of all proportion to any military goal. Israel, it's almost, it's, it's almost diabolical that Israel is being accused of this when, in fact, it's Hamas that operates that way. Well, you, you also uh, find in the laws of war that uh, there is a very real problem with using human shields, with uh, trying to place civilians, innocent civilians, in between you and your enemy. Uh, why is Hamas basically getting away with that? Every time you hear that uh, total, awful total of the number of casualties. We will get to that and more with John Yu of University of California at Berkeley uh, talking about the war in Gaza and the law of war. Coming up. It's outrageous what's going on out here. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, pleased to be speaking to uh, Professor John Yu of the University of California at Berkeley about uh, the laws of war and the ongoing conflict uh, between Israel and Hamas. And very important to understand that it is not a conflict between Israel and Gaza. It is a conflict between this terrorist group, which has declared perpetual and, in fact, genocidal war against Israel, and the uh, state of Israel operating as a uh, member of the UN, a a state, uh, not simply a terrorist gang. In, in terms of uh, the use of human shields, which is something that the Israelis bring up a lot, the, the idea of trying to hide uh, military facilities and, in fact, hostages, kidnap hostages in tunnels and underground bunkers that they have established beneath civilian hospitals and homes and schools and more, that it is actually Hamas that is violating the laws of war. Can you explain that point a little bit, Professor Yu? I'm glad that you raised that. That's a really important point and maybe the way that the law is most important in this conflict. And the reason why is because the laws of war, as we're talking about in the last segment, say you can't target civilians, you can't target purely civilian buildings and resources. But at the same time, the laws of war say you also aren't allowed to hide in civilian buildings. You're not allowed to hide behind civilians. You can't use hospitals and churches, religious places of worship to conduct your military operations. uh, because and, And that if you do so, then the laws of war permit Israel or any other country to attack those sites. And it's important to realize why, because if the purpose of these rules is to minimize harm to civilians, and then you created this kind of immunity for people like Hamas, 
that said, well, they can shoot at you, but the minute they hide behind a mosque, you can't shoot back. Then the incentive is going to be that Hamas is going to locate all their operations in these civilian locations and then invite more attacks on civilians. And that, in fact, is Hamas's real strategy here. What they're trying to do is they're trying to count on the Western way of war to spare civilians and to try to only target the military. They're trying to use their civilians as shields, which is illegal under the laws of war. And and one other thing I want to say about what Israel is doing, at least as I've been able to observe it through the media here in California, I mean, I've not been there to see it up close, but I think they've been actually conducting their military operations with a great deal of sensitivity to try to avoid civilian casualties, despite what Hamas is doing, which is to basically hide and camouflage and try to blend in to the civilian population, and in fact, to try to invite attacks on civilians to try to generate as many casualties in the civilian population as possible. It's really it's Hamas by its actions, which is harming the civilian population, I think more so than what Israel is doing. And, and, and again, they have been harming even in periods where there's not active conflict. Uh, the people in Gaza, the civilians in Gaza, have suffered under the rule and misrule of Hamas. Uh, this one question uh, about the whole idea of taking hostages uh, that you are then going to trade in very uneven trade for uh, people who have been convicted in courts of law of terrorist crimes. Uh, today there was a CBS report uh, that at least 30,000 children have been taken from their homes in Ukraine and unlawfully deported to uh, Russia. Uh, are these activities by Hamas, uh, kidnapping originally 240 people before some of them have been traded back and some of them have been killed. And this idea of taking uh, children and uh, forcing them to uh, leave their parents, be separated from their parents and, and go through new lives in Russia, would that be uh, an equivalent crime? Yeah, this is another example of how Hamas is violating the civilized rules of warfare. The, the whole purpose is to protect civilians. So the last thing the laws of war should permit you to do is shoot civilians or to take them hostage and use them as bargaining chips. Now, you can take prisoners of war. You would take people who surrender. You can take people prisoner who are injured in combat. And these are members of the military. But what you can't do is grab civilians and use them as shields or grab civilians and take them hostage. That's just flat out a violation of rule. There's no justification for that at all. But again, what Hamas is doing is trying to take advantage of their willingness to violate those rules while knowing that Israel or knowing that the United States or the Europeans are going to demand that the war be fought on our side at a much higher standard. In, in terms of the ongoing case, which uh, uh, has not had a uh, definitive resolution yet at the International Court of uh, Criminal Justice in The Hague, uh, it's a division of the UN. Do you think there's any realistic 
possibility that this case against Israel that was brought by South Africa, uh, that it's going to have some serious impact or some uh, definitive anti-Israel resolution? I, I, I'm, it's sad that this has happened. Uh, the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, was started with the uh, best of motives and has done well in some periods. But I think like other institutions of the UN, it's become used as a tool by anti-Western movements, anti-Western nations. This is an example. The idea that you would accuse Israel of conducting genocide, uh, I, I just think is outrageous. And so the ICJ is going to lose because if it were to make such an outrageous finding, then people will continue to ignore it. For example, the United States pulled out of the ICJ in the 80s because the ICJ tried to order President Reagan from conducting his Central American policy to stop the Nicaraguans, for example. The ICJ has tried to stop the United States from defending vessels in the Persian Gulf from Iranian attacks. Every time it does something like that and shows itself really to be a tool of these anti-Western movements and nations, the countries that really care about the rule of law, like the United States, like Israel, uh, it makes them even more confident that they should reject the court and that they should pull out of the court's authority. And this might be, you know, the last blow if the court or the ICJ were to do this to demonstrate to, again, the serious Western nations, that's not a real court and that's not to be taken seriously. Uh, that's what I think could very well happen if this if the ICJ continues to be used more as like a propaganda tool of sort of anti-Israel forces than a real court of law. It's a very profound and important point. And uh, last word, uh, the word is genocide. The accusation against Israel uh, at the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, uh, brought by South Africa was that Israel was committing genocide. I have heard uh, many authoritative legal scholars say that actually if either side uh, were guilty of genocide as it is defined properly in the Geneva Convention and more, it would be Hamas, not Israel. Why is that the case? I, th I think that's right because Hamas is stated as one of its goals, if not its major goal, is to eliminate Israel, right? Is to remove the Jewish state from the land it now occupies, but right between the you know, river to the sea, between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, is to be free of Jews. That's genocidal. I mean, you're talking about the elimination of a population. Uh, Israel here is not trying to commit any kind of genocide. Uh, they are trying to get at Hamas, and they're having, unfortunately, the collateral effect of killing Palestinian civilians because Hamas won't fight out in the open, and they're putting civilians in front. Who's the, which party is really responsible for civilian death tolls in Gaza? And I also hate to say it, but you know, even though we're seeing large civilian casualties, maybe 20, 30,000, that comes nowhere near what you would expect to see if a country were actually engaged in genocide. I think it's a ridiculous 